0: Well, hello, Church. It's great to be able to share with you today. A few years ago, Kathy and I traveled to the United States, and part of our trip included a tour of Alcatraz, which is an island in San Francisco Bay. It was once a notorious prison housing the likes of Al Capone and Machine Gun Kelly. Now, that's not the rapper, but the famous gangster and there's no prizes for guessing his weapon of choice but it is now a tourist attraction and being located just 2.4 kilometers from the mainland it is said that in the exercise yard when the breeze is blowing off the mainland onto the island those that were incarcerated could hear the sounds of parties and girls laughing and people having fun on the mainland whilst they were incarcerated. It was said that in itself was prison and torture enough. Apparently one of the most common slogans amongst those serving long sentences in the US is you've got nothing coming, you've got nothing coming. And that's a sad statement, isn't it? It's a hopeless statement, robbing inmates of little hope that they might have left, effectively saying nothing's gonna change for you. Don't expect anything better. You're getting what you deserve. You've got nothing coming. The truth is you don't have to be in prison in order to be living behind bars, self-imposed bars. Prisons of our own thinking, bad attitudes, our own thinking. So coming to believing that in actual fact and declaring that this is the best it's going to get, nothing is going to change. I'm I'm not going to be any better off than I currently am right now, so I may as well sit down and just endure it. And I believe it's important to realize we have a very real enemy who is out to rob, kill, and destroy us. John 10.10 tells us that, and one of the strategies that he uses is to confine us and to contain us. And has been sharing the last couple of weeks about the winter season and the attitude that we should have, not of leaning back, but leaning in, and that our posture will determine our praise as we fix our eyes on him and what he's done for us, not on our circumstances. He said the enemy wants us to think that our circumstances dictate God's thoughts towards us. But God doesn't want to contain us. The truth is he wants us to be free. So when you think about it, The enemy, using containment and confinement is a really good strategy because it is so subtle. You know, to push us back would be too obvious. So instead, the enemy would rather lull us into a false sense of security, maybe into a comfortable complacency away from the challenges of moving in to the next thing God would have for us. Maybe today we feel that sense of confinement, that sense of containment. Maybe we even feel like we're stuck where we are. We're on a treadmill and our attitude can reveal that. Yeah, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm referring to. And here we are, August. Any New Year's resolutions and desires for change and progress, long gone. Nothing's changed. We look in the mirror and it's the same old person looking back. The hope of a better year after last year dissipated. We feel stuck, contained, and trapped. I want to look this morning at what we should do if we feel that way. And there appears like there is no escape. There are times in our lives when we may feel stuck. You know, it may be stuck in an attitude, a way of thinking that we can't break free from. Stuck in a particular situation um, spiritually. Stuck in our financial cycle, that is, we can't break free from. Stuck in a relationship, possibly even a marriage where there is little passion, love, and joy. Stuck at a level in life that we should have got through long ago, but it just hasn't happened for us. In John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, we read of a man who was confined, who was contained, who was in dire circumstances, if you like, stuck where he was and couldn't break free. I'd like to read to you from John chapter 5, verses 1 through to 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, "'Do you want to get well, sir?' The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, by way of explanation, it was believed that an angel would come down, stir the water into the pool, and the first person that would get into the pool when the water's been stirred would be healed of their condition. It was a miracle. Carrying on from verse seven. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, once the man was cured, picked up his mat and walked. The man had been in this condition for 38 years. If anyone was ever trapped or stuck, it was him. And what we see here is that this man gets free. He gets unstuck, if you like. And uh, the lid lifts off his life and his life has changed from ever onwards. And I believe there's some things that we can learn from his situation and apply to our own life. So if we want to move on and what sort of kind of posture do we need to have? What kind of attitude do we need? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to, Really want it. We have to ask ourselves, do we want to be free? Do I really want it? Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? In verse 6. Now, anyone watching from the sideline could be forgiven for asking this question Uh, Jesus, what sort of question is that? I mean, this guy's an invalid. You can see that he is with the rest of those who are not well, hoping for the waters to be stirred that they might be able to get in. Uh, You can see that he doesn't look well, and he's with the lame and the paralyzed, so surely he would want to get well. Otherwise, he wouldn't gather or would be brought here every day. Isn't it obvious he wants to get well? Well, it would seem that Jesus was not so convinced. You see, there's a lot of people who claim they want to get well. They want to move on. There's a lot of people that claim they want to break out of the, the trap that they're in, but in reality, that's not the case. I recall Derek Prince years ago talking of a man who went to a faith healer for his shoulder and was healed, miraculously healed. And he was thankful he was able to move his shoulder and he said to the faith healer, thank you so much. And then he walked off with a limp. And the faith healer said, excuse me, sir, I can pray for your leg, your hip, your knee, whatever it might be as well. And the man said, oh, no, don't touch that. That's my war pension. <laughs> you know, we can declare we want to break three. We can declare that. We want to rise to a new level. Even we go through the motions to appear like we are becoming a conqueror. To move on because we know that is what is expected of us. But on the inside, we've grown accustomed to our situation. We've become secure in it, even enjoyed the additional attention we get because of it. When in reality, God is calling us to something new, to a higher level, to greater measure of wholeness. Sometimes we learn to live with being stuck. You see, I believe that unless there's an inner state of our heart and mind that changes, our outward circumstances will never change. We will remain trapped, contained, confined. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Do we really want to break free, to get unstuck and to move on to that next level? Do we really want to overcome, be a conqueror? Or have we given up the fight and become frustratingly content with our lot? You know, we've laid down and wilted on the inside and just accepted it as being my lot and it's the cross that I must bear. Do we really want it? Or have we given up on the inside? Do we really want to find that new level of freedom? Freedom from the sin that so easily entangles and to become that overcomer, that conqueror that Carla's referenced. Do we really want the love and the passion and the joy back in our marriage? Do we really want to lift the game as far as our employment and finances are concerned? Or have we learned to live in mediocrity and monotony? As a child, our family visited Rotorua and I decided then as a young boy, I don't want to live there. Why would that be? Why would a young boy make that decision? Yeah, you guessed it. The geothermal gases escaping from under the ground, they go off and odour. It's a little like you know, rotten eggs, it's said. And I know that the whole place doesn't stink. There are places that are really quite pleasant. But there are people who live in the areas where the odour is quite noticeable, and it doesn't bother them. Why is that? Well, it's because they've grown accustomed to it. You know, they've, It's normal for them. They don't think about it they've learned to live with it. And in the same way, some can learn to live with a stench in their finances or some other area of their life. Maybe it's in their marriage or employment or somewhere else. And without realizing, it's become acceptable to them as the norm. If we desire to get unstuck, we have got to draw a line in the sand and say, look, enough is enough. I'm not gonna stand for this anymore. I'm not going to stay where I am any longer. I'm going to get free. Things are going to change. And in the words of Popeye the sailor man, having grabbed a can of spinach, I can't stand it, I can't stand it, I can't stand it no more. You know, a young man went fishing along a lake. He noticed along the bank of it, an older gentleman that he recognized as being a very, very successful business person. Now, the young man had entered into business himself and thought he would engage this chap in conversation, asking for advice. So he sidled along a little bit closer to him and said, excuse me, I don't wish to bother you, but I recognize who you are. I'm a young man entering business. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask some advice. What do I need to do? What's the first thing I need to do in order to achieve the kind of success that you have had? The older man said, do you really want to know? And he said, yes, I do. He said, well, come on over. So the young man sidled on over and he said, put your fishing rod down, lean down and look into the water. So the young man did. He came closer, put his fishing rod down and leant into the water. Saw a little bit of his own reflection, wondering what was going on. And then the old man grabbed him by the hair and thrust his head into the water and held him down in the water. This young man's flailing and flailing and he's held down for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 45 long seconds and then whoosh, pulls him back out, and he ends up back on the bank, lying on his back, gasping for air. And the young man said, well, what what did you do that for? As he's beginning to compose himself. And the old man said, I was answering a question. The young man said, what do you mean by that? And the old man said this, when you want success the same way you wanted that breath of air, you're on your way. You see, we've really got to want it. We've really got to want it. The truth is, we may not know exactly what or where we're going at least, but we know we're not going to remain where we are. So our declaration should be, I am moving on. I'm not staying where I am now. I'm not staying here no more. I can't stand it no more because I know there's a better tomorrow. My God loves me too much to leave me like I am. So number one, the type of person we need to be, the posture we need to adopt to break free and move on, to get unstuck, to break out of our confinement and containment, we need to decide we want to break free, decide that we will be someone who really wants it. Okay, back to John 5. The second type of thing, the attitude at least we need if we're going to break free is we need to decide to stop blaming others, pointing the finger and making excuses. We won't rationalize our current situation. We won't explain it away. We won't make excuses or blame others. In verse 7, we see that after Jesus asked him if he wanted to get free, he answered Jesus by saying, I have no one to help me into the pool while the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down. Ahead of me. He effectively is saying, It's not not my fault that I am the way that I am. It's not my fault that I am stuck like I am. It's because of what others have done to me or because what others have not done for me. That's the reason why I am contained the way I am. We can't afford to rationalize it, explain it away, blame others, point the finger, listen to a list of explanations given. To the Metropolitan Insurance Company by policyholders to explain the car accident that they had been involved in, and some of these are, are quite good. One person said, an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car and vanished. Another one said, the other car collided with mine without warning me of its intention. Another person said this, as I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up obscuring my vision. Another one said, the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran him over. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. Here's one. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I hit him. I've been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. This one's good. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. And then finally, the indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. (laughs) You know, we have a way of making excuses and pointing the finger, don't we? It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. You know, when Adam was confronted by God as to the fact that he had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God had commanded him not to do that, he said this, the woman you put here that you gave to me. In other words, it's your fault and if you won't buy that, it's her fault. (laughs) And when God asked Eve what she had done. She said, it was the serpent who deceived me. And as our founding pastor Paul Bennett put some time ago so well, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. You know, we've got to stop blaming others for our situation. You know, it never helps us move on. So let's not miss out on all that God has for us by settling for where we are. Determine to move on, to break free and decide that we really want to rise up and get unstuck and not rationalize it away by blaming others, pointing the finger, making excuses for our current situation. Okay, the third thing we've got to do if we're going to break off confinement is we've got to decide we are going to be obedient. Decide that we are going to be obedient. In verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. You know, what the Lord commands us to do may make sense, and it may not. What it will require us, however, is to forsake our plans and our thoughts in order to cooperate with him to break free and move on. The sick man in John 5 was looking for three things. He was looking for an angel to come down, he was looking for water to be stirred, and he was looking for someone to help him into the water. Those three things he felt he needed in order to be healed. Jesus, however, had an entirely different plan. The Lord's plan required the sick man to put out of his mind all those things, the things that have been done in the past. And Isaiah 43 verse 19 says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It's a new day. Some of us need to have someone come along to us and shake us and say, wake up, it's a new day. We've got to say, God's not finished with me yet. I'm changing my attitude. I'm changing my posture. God has so much more for me. We're called to be conquerors. We are called to be an overcomer. And I'm not going to allow my circumstances to dictate my praise. And again, I'd like to remind you of what Carl said last week. The enemy wants us to think that our situation and our circumstances dictate God's thoughts towards us. And because we might be stuck here, confined and contained in some way, that he has passed us by. But the truth is, God wants us to be free. Therefore, we should praise him right here and right now in the midst of our circumstances. His mercies to us are new every morning. And his possibilities and the possibilities in God are limitless. Today is a new day. It is no accident you're listening to me today, church. It's time to break free. Now ask yourself, what would my life look like? What would your life look like if we stepped out into that next level God has for us? If we broke off containment and confinement, that feeling of being trapped and held back, if we got unstuck, if you like, and stepped into all that God wants us to be, what would it look like? Jesus told the sick man to get up, even though it didn't make sense to him. The man had to break, or at least had to do that in order to break off confinement. The good question to ask is, what was the last thing God told you to do? What's the last thing God told me to do? Have we done it? Or have we rationalized our way out of it? See the choice is simple. We either obey or remain stuck. It does not seem that there's a middle ground. There's a story in the Old Testament that is similar to this one in some respects. It's found in First Kings seventeen. There's a time of famine, time of drought. And the Lord directs Elijah the prophet to move on, to not remain where he was. And I'd like to read it to you from first Kings seventeen, verses eight through to sixteen. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and and bring me please a piece of bread As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm going, sorry, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, making a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. stuck in a hopeless situation with no way out. And there was famine and drought in the land. Didn't seem like anything was changing. And it was at this point that God asked her to do something ridiculous in order to unlock the miraculous. <laughs> and if we're stuck, feeling contained and contrapped, and we feel like we're confined where we are, and really wanted to break free, and have done with excuses, then in order to be free, we need to be like the widow and risk losing everything in order to embrace God's plan. What the widow had been doing up until now had not been working. She was about to make her last meal and die. And we can be like that. We know what we're doing isn't working, but we carry on doing it. It's been said a definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The widow had to forsake her plan to embrace God's. We too have a choice to make. Will we abandon our thoughts, our ways, our plans, and accept his? The widow did just that and trusted in his promise and it led to her freedom. And oftentimes we can find ourselves stuck or contained, caught up in our situation and we aren't taking the time to listen to what he is saying. The Bible tells us in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. We've got to stop and pay attention. This is critical. We have to stop and listen to him. Consider what he has already told us and obey. And if we've already done that, then listen to the next thing he would tell us to do. You see, invariably, God says, I will if you will. I will if you will. He doesn't often say, I will, irrespective of whether or not you will or not. I will if you will. You know, Think of James 4 8, come near to him, and I will come near to you. In other words, it's a, I will if you will. Chuck Swindell, in his book entitled Living a Love Above the Level of Mediocrity, invites us to imagine, if you will. You work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel out of the country for an extended period of time. So he says to you and some of the other trusted employees, look, I'm going on leave and whilst I'm away, I want you to look after the business. You know, you manage things, I will write to you regularly, giving you instructions and telling you what you need to do. And I'll see you when I get back from my trip. And everyone agrees. And he leaves and is away for a couple of years. And during that time, he writes often, communicating his desires and his concerns. Finally, he returns. He walks up to the door of the company, immediately discovers that everything is in a mess. There's weeds flourishing in the flower gardens, windows broken across the front of the building. The young lady sitting behind the the counter in the lobby is is dozing. There's loud music coming from the back offices. There's a couple involved in in, in horseplay, to use the expression he uses, out the back. Without hesitation, he realizes and he calls everyone together and he's found out that the business in actual fact has been making a loss. He calls everyone together into the boardroom and is somewhat frowning and he says, did you not get my letters? What happened? And you say, yeah, sure, we got them. We got your letters. We even bound them in a book. Some of us have even memorized them. In fact, we have a letter study every Sunday. You know, those are really great letters. And Swindoll goes on to say, I think the president would then ask, but what did you do about those instructions that I gave you? And the employees will respond, do? <laughs> well, nothing. But we read every one of them. You know, James 1, tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. It's in the doing that we are obedient. The widow could have heard what Elijah said, but disregarded it and remained trapped. The sick man could have disregarded Jesus' command to get up and therefore remained an invalid. They had to obey. And as they did, they became free. And once we've heard his voice and decided to follow and obey, the problem is half solved. The cool thing is the Bible reveals God's desire for us to be in a spacious place, free from restriction. Jesus came to set us free. Listen to Second Samuel twenty-two twenty. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And in Job thirty-six sixteen, he is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction. And in Psalm 31, 8, it says this, You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. But to be free and to get unstuck, we have to decide we really want it. And we have to decide to stop pointing the finger, blaming others, making excuses. And we have to decide that we're going to be obedient to everything. The Lord has told us every day the enemy would seek to contain us and prison us in small thinking, wrong attitudes, and boredom, mediocrity, insignificance and feelings of that. So we make little or no progress, no headway. We remain in that same place, confined, contained, restricted. This is completely opposite to God's desire for us. His plan for us is to rise above all that and to reach our fullest potential, not to look back, but forward. Not to look down, but to look up. It's a journey, and sometimes it's slow. But we need to be patient as he works out his glorious plan. Wayne Cordero tells of an apple farmer called Mr. A. Bailey, who was one of the best. And during the season of prolonged drought, all the orchards in the valley dried up, and as a result of this lack of moisture, the field's apple crops were destined to fail, all except Mr. Bailey's. So they called him in and asked him, what is it about your crop how comes ours are drying up and dying? And he replied, my trees can go another couple of weeks without a drop of water. Well, how are they managing to do that? Asked the other orchardists. And he replied, when my trees were young, I frequently withheld water from them. And because of that, they had to send their roots deeper into the soil to find water. Now, while the other trees are dying, mine are drinking moisture from a great depth. So for us, in times of feeling trapped or stuck confined, contained, we need to use that time to send our roots deeper into his love, deeper into his word, meditating on his promises with a posture of not leaning back, but leaning in, praising the one who will set us free and not give up. There's never been a success story half written. Don't get despondent. Don't give up. And as we determine that we want to move on and determine not to blame others and make excuses and determine that we will be obedient to what Jesus has told us we will get dislodged and move in the right direction the Lord would have for us the next level he has. May God bless you all. I'd love to pray with you. So let's look to the Lord, shall we? Father, I want to thank you for the gift of life. Full of potential it is, full of opportunity. We don't want to stop short of all that you've called us to be. We don't want to stop short of all that you've called us to do. Together, we determine that we want to move on to not live contained to stop blaming others and making excuses to be obedient give us an ear to hear your voice lord i declare that we're believing for a better day a day of freedom of potential reached a day of living full on for you and in you thank you lord that dislodgement is coming doors are opening lids are lifting off restrictions are fleeing in jesus name and for those today, Lord, that their health, like the man in John 5, is holding them back. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that they would know the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ restoring them, Lord, the healing power of the Lord touching them. I pray for healing. I break the spirit of infirmity over their lives, Lord, as they lean in and reach out to you in faith, believing for their healing touch. Lord, I pray that you would touch them and bring healing to them in Jesus' name. And for those who lack in some way, maybe similar to the way the widow in 1 Kings 17 was, Lord, you provided for her. Father, I pray you'd open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing to your people, Lord, that no longer would lack be the thing that would restrict them. Lord, I pray that just as they would seek first the kingdom, Lord, you would add all these things to them, Lord, that they would have the resource, the wherewithal to be able to move to the next level in the name of Jesus. I pray for this. Amen. May God bless you all. I trust it's been a blessing to you.